Good morning, church. If you thought, boy, this fool is so irreverent, up here laughing during worship. But we, uh, Leah picks the songs. She does a great job. I'm always very pleased. They align perfectly with what is going to be preached. Uh, and that's why we're here. If you ever wonder, man, uh, songs are cool, and I like them. Um, I would agree. I enjoy music a great deal. But our music here is intentional. Uh, Leah does take the time to try to find songs that are going to be evocative, that we're going to sing together, say the words out loud together, uh, that, that are going to help us ready ourselves for words that we're going to study today. So that when we read these in the Bible, it's kind of rattling around in our head. This is one of the reasons that I think singing is so valuable in the body. It gives everybody an opportunity to say things and think about the things they're saying. And then when you find that that's exactly what's in the Word, and that's easy for me to remember it, now we see the, the glory that is song that, that, that God has given us in that regard. But today, we did a song, we start on the second verse, and in our practice, I said, what I'm going to do is say the first two words of the verse we're not singing, and then have to pivot to say the, when I realize they're not right, I'll, I'll move to the next verse, and it'll, my first sentence will make no sense. Exactly what I did. I said, no, a complete nonsense, so I started chuckling, thinking I, what I said has came to pass, I'm a prophet, just not a very good one. I'm going to screw something up soon. Nobody really, uh, nobody really wants to talk about that. But anyway, it's a wonderful to be here. Uh, the, so the, the joy we have in worship comes in, 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 in its manifold joy, let's say. But today, uh, I, I hope you enjoyed that. The, the man that we sang today in this, this notion of, of uh, crying out for heart change isn't necessarily new. When you get into this space and you're like, oh, yeah, we all want to be different. We all want to be better. That's true. We find a lot of songs in that space, a lot of... Uh, uh, Verses, but today we're going to be talking about judging, judgment, judgmentalism, things like this. Um, maybe it doesn't seem to necessarily jive straight away with a clean heart. That doesn't make any sense. I thought we weren't supposed to be judging. Why does the condition of my heart matter? I'm not called to judge. You are called to judge, but you are called to judge in a specific way. <laughs> if you're going to be judging other people, if you're going to help them discern what's going on in their lives, you would better be darn sure that what judgment you are putting on to them, you yourself are not guilty of. This sounds maybe easy in some regards, um, but it's not easy at all. And we're going to get into that, and we're going to talk about why this is difficult. Um, we're going to talk about the pitfalls. <laughs> These aren't new thoughts. These are all right here in the Word. Um, but I think as we go through this, hopefully we'll come to a conclusion that is we are called to judge. But we're called to do it in a, in a different way than perhaps the world thinks about judging. So I called it, Here Comes the Judge. There's an old, I kind of date myself here. There's an old laugh-in bit with Sammy Davis Jr. It was really funny. But anyway, whenever I see judge, that's the, the, here comes the judge. That always pops into my head. But here comes the judge meant sermon. And we'll be in Matthew 7. If you've got your Bibles, uh, feel free to read along. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log, when there, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not, throw pearls before, do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. 
Let's pray. Lord, as we, uh, we tackle this passage, it seems like maybe two thoughts here. It kind of uh, starts with judgment and how we're called to avoid that in some regards. And then this part at the end about pearls and, and holy things and dogs and pigs. And Lord, I pray that um, as I seek to exposit this text, as I seek to explain and cover and illumine those that are in, in hearing my words today, Lord, that they're not going to uh, treasure my words, and they're going to treasure your word here, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit illumines us, that we don't lean on our own understanding, we don't try to find a convenient way to interpret the Scripture that allows us to do what we want to do uh, or, or live the way we want to live, Lord, but instead we, we earnestly desire to seek your will for our life. And Lord, we covet the Holy Spirit's primary function in allowing us to do so. I'm thankful for this time together, Lord. In your sons of my pray, amen. For those of you that aren't feeling well, there's a handful here. Uh, know that you're in our prayers. We hope to get to see you again soon. Um, and, and obviously, it is the season. So if, uh, if you are sick and don't come to church, you, you'll get no grief from us. We appreciate you not sharing that. <laughs> there's wonderful things to share in church. Illness is not one of those. Ah, judgment. So I open with Christians are renowned for this. I don't think that you're going to be able to find anybody in the world that will not tell you what Christians hate. What don't Christians like? If you talk to anybody, they're going to be able to list off some pretty key sins that have been well covered by believers over time. Probably you're going to get into things like, well, they don't like uh, homosexuality, right? They're clearly against that. Uh, many don't like drinking. Uh, we could go round and round and round. You're probably going to ignore a whole bunch because uh, they don't really talk, we don't talk about it as much. But the church has been very vocal on some things. Knowing that, bearing that in mind, fundamentally we should never be judgmental. Now, when I use this word, this is about looking for things to judge. I'm out here to put everybody in their place. That's my role. <laughs> I am a judge. I'm going to walk through the world as a believer, find things that are wrong, and cast judgments on them. You are wrong. What you have done is wrong. This is wrong, and you are wrong. Fix it. This is a very tempting thing to do because much of the world does this, right? Our series, a system of law and order is based on this, right? If a police officer sees you speeding, he or she, we could argue, has a duty to do something about that. They are going to stop you, and they are going to cite you. And then you can go in front of a judge, and they'll look at the evidence, and they'll make a decision. But they are judging you. That officer is being judgmental to say, I believe the speed you are going is inappropriate, and I'm going to take action. And the state now begins the machinations against you. When we say that, uh, you know, we could say, well, it's not against you. It's for the population. Okay, that's fine. But the reality is I'm the one that is being dealt with. It's against me. The church, Christianity, this really is not what we are supposed to be about. We should always be discerning. We should always be trying to understand what's going on, how the Bible is going to apply to that, what the Spirit's leading us to do, how we can encourage one another. And we do this, of course, by learning the Word and spending time with Jesus and one another and drawing the knowledge of the Holy Spirit up into our hearts and minds more readily so that we aren't worried much about putting everybody in their place, but we're really worried about letting them know the truth of Christ. There's a key word that we'll see in this passage that I think is, is here very intentionally to guide us in how to do this. So, judge not. 
I'm sure everybody who's heard anything from the Bible has heard this. Judge not. And people love to stop right there. See? Don't judge. Christians, if you come to me and you say what I'm doing is wrong or it's, it's a sin, well, then you're in sin. Because right here in Matthew it says, judge not. Uh, the Greek word for judge here is a very broad term, to be fair. Now, I talk a lot, maybe, maybe some could argue too much about this, but it's important. Because in English, in the, in the world of today, before we even talk about the Bible, there are languages spoken in other places that have words that we don't have equivalents for in English. One of my favorites is schadenfreude. That's German. And it basically means the joy you find in somebody else that you claim to like suffering. We don't have a good word for that. So you have to explain it. And it's not as good to say it like that. Greek is no different. Aramaic is no different. Hebrew, no different. There's a lot of nuances, that are, uh, things, colloquialisms that were used. And as we seek to study the word and learn the language better, these things become clear over time. So this word, the Greek word here, is a very broad term for judgment. But this kind of judgment is basically concluding somebody's net worth based on an action. You've done this sin thing, thus you are condemned. You are away. You are outside the circle of good graces, if you will, right? We do have a construct for this in our world. It's prison. You have done something. You have been sentenced. You are now going to jail. You have been segregated from the world. This is where you are. You are condemned to prison. Now, the goal of prison, of course, on paper is to rehabilitate and then bring you back to the world. In reality, it doesn't do a very good job of that. It just separates you for a while. Typically makes you bitter, your family upset. And then you have to fold back in and good luck to you. We ought not be thinking that way as Christians. Our goal is not to walk through the world and set some people outside and some people inside. One's worth is not going to be decided by us watching them. We could discern something about them. We could be helpful but we should not value or devalue people based on their actions. It doesn't mean we don't care. And it doesn't mean that their actions don't have a moral standard. But our conclusions for value or devaluation of that person, they are either worthy or unworthy based on their actions, is misplaced. And why? And this is the second half. Because we don't want judged. We do not want our value to be based on our mistakes. I don't. I can tell you that. I've made many. And by this same measure, I have no business being up here. People could come up here and incriminate me, and I plead guilty all day. We want forgiveness. We want wise counsel, and we want compassion. That's what we want. We want grace. I mean, grace is those things and more, right? But it's this idea that I don't deserve forgiveness, but it's given to me. I don't deserve wise counsel, but it's given to me. I don't deserve your compassion, but yet it's given to me. Knowing that, we should be showing that. When it comes to the world, especially those that are lost, the notion of coming in there with a 10-pound hammer and pointing out sins and smashing toes is not going to give people the forgiveness, the wise counsel, and the compassion that they need. The truth of the gospel embodies that. You are forgiven. The Bible, the Word of God is filled with wise counsel. I'm here sharing it with you because I legitimately care about you. I legitimately care about you. And they say, why? Why? Because Christ cared about me. And I've been told to do something, and that's why I'm here. But interestingly enough, as I commanded to do it, I tend to love it. It's weird, but come with me on this journey. Let's figure it out together. Yeah, but you don't know me. Has anyone ever heard? 
anyone ever heard when you're talking to them, well, yeah, but you don't know what my life's been like. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the people I've hurt. That is true. I don't know. But you don't know the things I've done. And what's miraculous about what we're getting ready to, to, to discuss as we move through this is the promise of the Bible is God doesn't know what I've done anymore. He has separated it from me as far as the east from the west. Christ has paid for it. It's no longer mine. Now, when you bring something like that to somebody who's dealing with situations in life, making really poor choices, warranting in many regards judgment, and you instead of casting them out because of their actions, welcome them in to see if their actions could be revitalized by a living God and a Holy Spirit that's alive and breathing and a living Savior, things change. And what we see here is God will return our favor. If we pronounce judgment, it will be pronounced against us. There's a ton of uh, extra-biblical stories that play into this thing, uh, like horror genres and things where it's like, what do you want? I want a million dollars. And then it appears above the person's head and crushes them. Ooh, should have been more specific. Now what do you want? Well, I don't want anything, right? <laughs> you know, we in, in church say things like, careful what you pray for. We usually say it jokingly. But, you know, if you pray for patience... Well, guess what it takes to make patience? Situations that beget patience. You're going to have to put up with some stuff that drives you nuts. I pray for better, better money management skills. You know what's going to happen, probably? All your money's going to go away. That's how you learn. If you've got plenty of money, you don't need to manage it. But if you've got none, seemingly, you start to put it down on paper. You start to make a budget. You start to get it together. So when we say, careful what you pray for, the, the tongue-in-cheek joke there is because I may get something from God that I need, but I don't think I want. Same here. If we're walking around and we're putting people aside because of their sins and we find ourselves in that same place, God's righteousness says, well, then I'll do that to you. I told you I would. So if you said they can't come in here because they did this, that, and the other, now you've done this, that, and the other, well, then you can't come in here. He uses another adage here called a faulty measure. If you use a faulty measure, it'll be used against us. This is basically cheating people, right? Uh, weights that are wrong. You know, your friend shows up, and you put a right weight on there, and they get more for their money. Someone you don't like shows up, you put a faulty weight on there. Well, you came up a little short today. You don't get anything. I am the one that's in. I'm cheating. But I am cheating them to, because I don't like them. And the sum total here is we love to point out tidy specks with their logs in our own eyes. We love to see all the things wrong, even if they're little things wrong with other people. And look at your eye. Look at you. How can you stand? To do that. There's a phrase that was used I heard a lot uh, uh, when I was growing up occasionally. Well, not a lot, I guess. But people would say, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Right? You'd say something. You'd say profanity or whatever. Do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Like, I do. And the fact that you're accusing me of, of kissing my mother with that mouth is in some ways the same kind of a drill, right? Like, we used to joke about that. And you could put, the, you could put a curse word in the question. And now it begets itself forever. You kiss your bleeping mom with that mouth? Oh, yeah, well, you kiss your, and it, it never ends, right? We just sit here and point at each other. You did it. No, no. You did it first. No, but then you did it worse. But what about you now? You're judging me, so that means you're a judge, and it never ends. There's no, there's no terminus here that leads anybody to a better place. And here's where we see the first key word that I mentioned. We're not just talking about judging anyone. This notion of judgment, what we're talking about here, where we're even dealing with specks and logs and trying to help one another get better, is the word brothers. This is focusing on believers. When it comes to our church family, we should be caring. 
If somebody in the church family is mired in sin or dabbling in sin, struggling with sin, we should seek to help them remedy that. Not by throwing them out of the congregation. You want to know a big pet peeve of mine? Is when I hear that people, pastors especially, get run out of churches because of moral failure. I can't comprehend this very well. It's almost exactly the opposite of what we want to see. Should they be leading the congregation if they're involved in an affair with a congregant? No. It's probably a good idea to step down. But to have them be booted out of fellowship over it, rather than to see them restored to Christ with wise counsel and people that are part of their family, is heartbreaking to me. It's not that what they did wasn't wrong. It's not that they didn't have a speck or a log in their eye. But our goal as a church would be to remedy this with one another. It doesn't mean anything goes. This doesn't mean, hey, it's okay because you're a member of the church, so, you know, hey, we sin more, we, we get more grace. All this has been covered in the Word, by the way. These aren't new ideas. This is well documented in the Bible that we don't sin more to get more grace. We are called to live upright lives, lawful lives. But we should, we should avoid condemning people because of these. Just because somebody is, has found themselves making terrible decisions, they are actively engaged in sin, doesn't mean they're just out for good. Church discipline is never leave forever and don't come back. That's a last-ditch effort. And by getting to that place, they are effectively going to have to say, I just don't believe. Well, now, that's a game changer. <laughs> if you don't believe, so be it. Then you're not a member of the congregation. You're not a member of the church. And we'll, we'll deal with that as if we were dealing with any other lost person in the world. We're in prayer for you. Come and worship with us. But you can't participate. You can't be a member of the congregation unless you confess these things. Let's go back to the speck. How dare we worry about our brother's speck when there's a log in our eye? And the conditional here is critical. Much like the first verse, the, the first verse in today's passage, judge not that you be not judged. How dare you worry about this speck in your eye when there's a log in your own eye? That is, we are to worry about the speck in our brother's eye. Let me make this very clear. We do worry about that. We ought to worry about that. But there's a manner in which we must address it. And if you've got a log in your own eye, you are in no position to deal with a speck in somebody else's eye. Has anyone ever been in the woods and tried to just, uh, you hear a sound maybe and you see something moving, but you can't quite see what it is because there's like leaves and branches? You, can know, you know something's there, but your ability to describe it adequately or certainly with any specificity is hampered. I think I saw orange, reason or hundreds were orange vests that contrast nice. You can see orange is probably a person. But is it a deer? Is it a wolf? Is it a dog? I don't know. It was something moving out there, but I couldn't see clearly because there's all this this foliage in my face. The sheer logic of this statement is incredible. If there's something blocking my vision, yeah, I should definitely remove it. Not just so that I'm like, great, everybody, my vision's clear. But because this now will allow me to accurately and without causing more harm, address a speck in somebody's eyeball. If you've ever had surgery done, the last thing you want is for some uh, surgeon to walk in with something blocking their vision and they're fumbling around trying to feel their way for a heart valve replacement or something. This would be foolish. Get that out of your face. You can't do a very good job of that being blocked. Now, it's twofold here. It's, it's also indicative that we've got sin in our own life, not just something blocking us, not something arbitrary that's maybe easy to put aside. There may be something where we need somebody to help us remove the log 
And, and church, this is why this is why the church is such a, a, a blessing to us, right? First things first, take the log out of your own line, and through that, we avoid hypocrisy. There is absolutely nothing less effective for me personally than to have somebody like me tell somebody else to stop overeating. It's absurd. Look at me. Who am I to tell anybody to stop eating? You should lose some weight. Oh, yeah? Well, that's ironic, right? I'm a terrible candidate for a running clinic or a weight loss clinic, unless what I'm going to do in this weight loss clinic is say I've begun a journey and I'd like other people to come alongside with me, and we're all going to start pulling logs out of our eyes together. That's a wonderful thing to do. What we're not called to do here is to just, hey, go off somewhere and deal with that log. But deal with the log. Deal with your own sin first. Only then can we see clearly enough to take the speck out of our brother's eye. Now, this sounds easy on paper. It's kind of like the don't worry, be calm down. Hey, just go cleanse your sin, right? Like, you can't cleanse your sin. But I can tell you right now, man, I've been struggling with this. It's been five years. It's been 10 years. It's been whatever. You know, I got a real heart to go out and take specks out of people's eyes, but I'm struggling to get the log out of my eye. Well, then keep on struggling, brother. Believe you me, when you are ready to go do the things that God will have you do, God will ready you to do so. Anyone ever heard stories of people quitting smoking immediately? I came to Christ, and I've never touched a cigarette since. I used to go to strip clubs. Boom, it was gone. Oh, that lust was gone from me immediately. And everybody else that has had that experience says, ooh, I must be deficient in some manner. It's not true. If, if God is sovereign and God's going to do what God's going to do, then for some people, he might go very quick, and others, it might take a nice long time. Not gonna have to, that, that cannot be our problem. And we can't be anxious and worry about that. What do I need to do? There's still a log here. I'm going to take it out. I might put it back in. But I'm going to go through this. And until I'm ready to deal with this, I am not in a position to go tell other people that are struggling with this to any other lesser degree that they are in some way worse off than me. We all not live with our logs. And we all not let our brothers live with specs if we can help. But there's an order to this as described by our Savior. We must get the log out of our eye, and then we deal with each other's specs. There's another adage here, if I could add a little bit, and that is that maybe a speck is in the eye of the beholder. If you've ever seen like a baby's hand, it's very small. You put a little twig in a baby's hand, and it looks like they're holding quite a branch. And if I held it, it doesn't look very significant at all. There are going to be some people that have dealt with logs that, or, or specks that they look at my sin and think of it as a log. What I, or rather, what I see as a log, they see as a speck. Oh, I had a, I mean, I had a tree. I had a giant redwood in my eye compared to what you're dealing with. And I, God pulled me through. And these are the ways that I cultivated the Word and the Spirit in my life. And, and, and I found this to be very helpful. Let me know that, brother. Help me out with that, sister. Tell me how I, could, how I can approach this, the Scriptures to read, the things to kind of meditate on, what kind of groups I could go to to talk about this, a cadence that's biblical and effective. You've dealt with this. If you see somebody that's once had a log in their eye and they've taken it out, it's been removed from them, you're curious. I mean, I've only got a speck, but I hate it too. Well, let me tell you what worked for me. Let me tell you how God moved in my life. doesn't mean he's going to move in your life, but if you give somebody advice like, let me sh let's do the things the Bible tells us to do. You can't lose. Is it going to fix everything overnight? Not necessarily, but it may. Either way, you're going to find yourself more fulfilled because we ought to be living with our logs and we ought to be helping one another. And then the last passage here is, I say, a final pronouncement. 
and it's a doozy. After all this talk about specks and judgment, we see, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is one I see, I see taken out of context, I think, a lot. I see being misused a lot. Uh, people use it maybe to be lazy in their faith. Nothing holy for dogs and no pearls for pigs. Okay? They'll trample them and turn to attack you. Now, if you, if you think about this, just in a logical sense, if I give my dog the word of God, she will probably ignore it. But if she were hungry, starving, and I present her with the word of God, then she will trample over it to attack me because she's so hungry. And this is not going to do the job that's needed. I need food. Same with pigs, right? If you've got something here that is struggling, that needs food, that needs help, isn't bringing the, the great... Uh, let me talk about the greater catechism, the Westminster... Let's go over this, right? And, and here, let's talk about some different doctrines... Uh, I can't even see straight. I'm so hungry. And this I find is an insult that you're bringing this to me when you know that I'm hungry, when you know that I'm a dog. And what's we're called to do here? There's a lot of discernment in. The key thing here is this is not the church. That what he's describing here are people outside of the church. These dogs and pigs are folks that have no idea of the sustenance that the Bible can bring. They are not ready for that. That meat will choke them. And the fact that they can't eat it will make them angry. The fact that you're talking about a God that they hate will make them angry. These are those who hate God. I was once one of these. And when pearls came before me, it made me angry. And I wanted to trample over them and cut this person down. Why? Because I don't need to hear this again. I know what you're going to tell me. I'm a piece of garbage. I'm not worth anything. Fine. Well, if you're not going to give me anything better than condemnation, there's the door. So don't do it. Going out to someone who is in active hate of God and, and trying to invigorate them with, with high-minded church arguments and apologetics that don't have anything to do with really them needing to have Christ renew through them in the Holy Spirit a whole new version of themselves to die and be born again, then it's pearls before pigs. This is good biblical wisdom that isn't based in the saving grace of Christ. But I thought we would share the good news. Oh, yes. Now, the good news is what they need. We are to share the gospel with the lost. And you could say, well, isn't the gospel a pearl of great price? I mean, this is true. But the caution, that's being, the caution that we are being called to here is to know that if what we are dealing with is a starving animal that is dying of hunger, address that at the same time. <laughs> Giving my dog the good news of salvation while the dog is starving to death is really insensitive. This is the reason that many of outreaches involve things that try to address felt needs in the world. You want to come inside to a warm building and have a, a, you know, some food. Get something. Let's sit down. I want to tell you about the good news, but I realize that you're not going to be receptive to this good news if you are suffering in the world and actively hating God. When I come to you, I want to do my best to let you know that I care for you completely and fully. And this is all for Christ and it's all for God. Even with that, people may attack us. Fine. 
We know this. The world will hate us. And here's where we kind of get to the crux. We should not expect or encourage the world to straighten up. Yelling at the dog for attacking us in the midst of good news is not going to help the dog. In many regards, it's just going to tarnish the effect of the good news. Putting a Bible in front of a dog, watching it run over and bite you, and then saying the Bible doesn't work very well. I guess there's, it's not that good a news after all. Most people would scratch their heads and say, well, that's, that's what you've done is silly. Painting a pearl, a pig necklace, and then having it chew the necklace to bits and attack me because it's starving doesn't make any sense. If our goal, when we address the world, when we address the dogs and the pigs that he's using here in this example, we go out and talk to the unsaved, the people that are in active rebellion, that don't like us, don't like God, they think they know what we know, they know what we're going to say, they've been through it before, they've been hurt before, they've dealt with churches that have ruined them and ruined their family with no remorse, our goal for them should be to lead them to Christ, not to have them live a good life. I do not care if the entire world stops sinning and they don't know who Jesus is, they all go to hell. We lose sight of that, church. We lose sight of that. Having people act like they're good does not make them saved. It doesn't even make them good, but it certainly doesn't make them saved. Doing this sort of thing where we go out and we take what this sort of judgment idea and we apply it to the world we take these truths of getting better and iterative growth as the holy spirit works in us and this and then we take this to the world and we're saying there's no evidence of that in you you better start acting better i expect to see some fruit even though you haven't really confessed christ you haven't even demonstrated at all that you know who he is or what he's done but i expect that out of you they throw their hands up forget it i can't do it i mean i can do it for a while I'm sure everybody in this room can say, well, yeah, I'm going to turn over a new leaf for a while. New Year's resolutions are this, right? The perpetual, let's try it again this year, and then three months in, and ah, phooey, it's not going to work, right? Because I'm not really into it. I want to do it, but I don't necessarily want the change that comes with that. I just want to say that I'm going to do it. I want to be agreeable. Points to ponder. When it comes to judging, let's judge in these four ways. Carefully. Judge reflectively, judge accurately, and judge graciously. That last one might seem like a little bit of a cognitive dissonance, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. So judging carefully. Do not condemn readily. Where this passage opens is judge not that you, not, you be not judged. If you start willy-nilly canceling people because you don't like what they're up to, and you've already made a decision that you are clearly outside of the saving grace of God here. You are not elect. You are, are treading into literally very dangerous territory. That sort of willy-nilly decision-making, the, 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 the audacity to think that I know the plans that, that God has for everybody by a few actions that I've been witness to in my short amount of time, even in my whole life, is absurd. Do not condemn readily. We should seek reconciliation, not isolation. Our goal in anything that we do should be to reconcile people to Christ. Now, will they reconcile to Christ? Don't know. I don't want to say don't care, but really, don't know, don't care. I, if they reconcile to Christ, that's between them and Christ. Uh, if they don't, that's between them and Christ. The truth of what I have to say to them, the truth of the word is the truth regardless of the outcome. But our goal, if, if God's 
froze time and said, God said, and God asked me, what would you like this person to do? My answer should be, I want them reconciled to your son so they can live eternal life. I want you glorified in that. That's what our answer should be. And we've got to know that our judgment will be turned back to us. This may sound like, well, it kind of sounds like a workspace thing, right? Like, careful what you do or it gets delivered on you double. Fine. We could, we, you want to go down that road, that's okay. But the, the reason that Christ is using this word here is to help us understand very clearly that if we are improperly judging, we don't understand what we are called to do. We will do things wrong and cause harm, not good. If I walk around and ask people things like, hey, uh, have you ever sinned? And they say yes, and I slice them in half with a sword. And I say, hey, I just pronounced judgment, so. But if someone finds sin in my life, feel free to slice me in half with a sword. I'm doing it wrong. That's not the intent of this. This isn't, I want to die by the sword, so I'm just going to start doing this. The intent here is to be well aware that if, if we know ourselves and we treasure the grace and compassion and the forgiveness when we see other people that are wallowing in the same place, struggling in the same manner, that our hearts should trend toward rest. I want to reconcile. I want this fixed for you. I want you to live a life that you know is a life that's godly, that you're participating in actively, not something that you're ashamed of and struggling and you don't ever want to talk about because you feel like you're isolated and alone. If we desire to cut them off, then by all means, God should do the same to us. It's exactly what the passage teaches us. So, like that, we want to judge reflectively. If I'm going to be careful, then I probably need to understand what's going on for me. Pretty difficult to do precise work with obscured vision. Work on yourself before you work on others. You know, there's tons of people, and, and, and when it comes to, I mentioned earlier about moral failure and how that distresses me, this is the other side of that equation. A pastor that's in moral failing, that is, is having affairs and keeping them secret, has not been doing a very good job of removing specks from his congregation's eyes. Now, I'm not called to come up here with tweezers and like, everyone, open big, whoop, there's one, bing, bang. That's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm not some sort of preeminent judge because I'm standing up here. That's not the case here. However, if I do see something in somebody's life and, and they see something in my life, uh, here I stand as one of the elders of the church. I'm an overseer. I'm supposed to be above the, the congregation with regards to service and, and being in front. But if I am so selfish that I'm pursuing what I want with no regard to the state of the congregation or to God's word, when all that comes out, it's reasonable that people on the would say, what's going on around here? What other lies am I being told? What other deceits are here? That's a pretty reasonable con conclusion to come to. That's where this gets to be very careful. If, if I am not above reproach, if there are, there's tons of secret sin, if I'm manipulating the congregation endlessly and I'm doing all this, and I get called out for it and I try to deny and I try to cover it up, then I, I've warranted everything that I get. Fundamentally, dirty water is not good for rinsing. And if you're trying to clean something up and you're starting with filth, you're never really going to get it clean. Now, I use rinse here intentionally. I will not clean anybody. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But when it comes to refining one another, iron, sharpening iron, the Bible tells us we're going to do this. If I'm not made of iron and I'm not sharp at all and I'm a useless tool and I'm deteriorated and decrepit and corroded, I can't sharpen a thing. And what we end up with a lot of times in churches are a whole bunch of decrepit tools that nobody wants to touch lest we break them during sharpening. 
we're all a bunch of dirty water. We know we're not good enough to rinse anybody else. And so rather than trying to fix ourselves, we fall into hopelessness and just try to look good on the outside. Right? We'll just put some dishes in that water, and it'll look like we're in the process of getting better. But it's been sitting there. Everybody ever do dishes? Everybody, everybody ever said this? Let's let it soak. Everybody ever said that? That's one of my favorite terms when it comes to dishes. This is a gnarly task. Let's just let it soak. What we're really saying is, God, could you miraculously clean this pan so I don't have to do it? And then you come back, it's soaked for a while. Maybe it gets a better. It sometimes does. I mean, I'm not saying that's completely useless. But once, if it works once, we try it for everything, right? I broke my leg. I'll just let it soak in the sink. No, that's stupid. You need a cast for that. <clears throat> so we need to think reflectively, reflectively about judgment in our life. Where am I struggling? Where do I absolutely not want to be condemned? What can I do about those sorts of things? Quite frankly, it's going to be falling on my face, turning to peers in the congregation. I'm struggling with this. I've been praying about it. And, I, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know what to do. Awesome. What do we need to address? Let's talk about it. How can we step forward together? Can the Holy Spirit snap and fix it? Yes. Is he going to do it? Don't know. In the meantime, we know it's wrong. We know it's a struggle. Let's work together. Let's find solutions. Let's get better. Then, when there is an issue that comes up in the congregation, something like moral failure, heaven forbid from the pulpit, from, but from anywhere else, there's some, uh, our, our eyes are clear, we're ready to act. We're, we, we feel like, well, you know, now that I've done the needful in myself as much as I can do, and I'm walking in lockstep, and I'm seeing, I've talked with, with uh, Ali about this stuff in the past, and there's a saying that's like, a, you know, I'm, I'm not the man I ought to be, but thank God I'm not the man I was. I re that resonates with me. Thank God is true. I, I've done nothing to, to pull myself anywhere closer to God. He's drugged me the whole way. Not kicking and screaming. I do want to go. Not being forced, but, but there's a part of me that still likes the old days and the old sin, and, and that's a constant struggle. And as a, as, a, as a congregation, we have an opportunity to reflect on that in ourselves, to say these things out loud, to talk about it with one another, and, and let the Holy Spirit, along with our efforts as a congregation, as described in the Word, make us better. And we want that so that we can judge accurately. There will be times in the church where action will be required. I'm just telling you. People will screw up. People will find themselves mired down. They'll get a DUI. They'll end up getting arrested for the domestic abuse. Uh, they'll get caught stealing. They'll get caught in an affair. This will come up. And when that happens, we need to be prepared to remove the speck, not the eye. Real popular thing here is to just absolutely annihilate them. Big sin, gone. We fired them immediately. We, we disfellowshipped them. We took a firm stand on this sin and what it meant. Okay, uh, it seems like maybe what we could have done is reconcile them, right? We need to be precise in our goals regarding corrective action, and the goal is to restore. To be precise in our goals means we need to understand what our outcome needs to be. And to be precise in our corrective action needs to be that we, means that we are, our, our vision is clear and as unfettered as possible so that we can be precise in our action. If our vision is clear with logs of hatred and disdain and one-upsmanship in the congregation, much less outside these walls, then the moment we start to see specks get realized, we want to start pucking eyes out, and you better watch out or I'll take your other eye. That'll put you in your place. I'll blind you. I'm not, you're not really called to do that. Yeah, but I will because I want to let everybody know that that kind of speck is not tolerated in this church. You know what happens the next Sunday? Everyone wears sunglasses. Well, there are no specs over here. Take your ass off. No, I don't need none. Because oh, heaven forbid, heaven forbid you find something in me, I didn't even know what was going on. 
But the, the corrective action is so gross and over the top that I can't even deal with it. We need to be accurate in what we judge and the manner in which we judge. That's the way we want to be judged. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If I say that getting caught drinking means you are kicked out of the church, well, get ready for temptation to start coming where you're going to want to start drinking. It's going to consume you very quickly. Why? Because it's exactly what I deserve. If I want to boot people out for doing sins that I don't do, and I want to build a whole group of people that just live the life that I live, that's not what we're called to do as a church. We are called to live as the Bible describes it. And this isn't about, we say faith without works, but then we also say, you're not saved by works, but we also say faith without works is dead. So works need to arrive, but it needs to be born of our faith. I would say the same when it comes to the works of judgment. We don't need works of judgment coming from my best understanding of things. When we talk about how we're going to do this as a church, these need to be born of our faith in Christ. His word instilling in us values that transcend our own understanding. Forgiveness and compassion. The law, the judgment's not really about these things, but for us, our goal is to restore. Restore people to the congregation. Restore them to Christ. Restore them to their families. Restore them to themselves to let them know that what Christ paid for you has been paid. The sin that I'm about to use as a reason to cut your eye out, Christ died on the cross for. The goal is to restore. And to that end, we judge graciously. When it comes to the world, holding them to God's standard is folly. It, trying to have people act and live like believers when they don't believe is a fool's errand. All it's going to do is make you and them hate each other. I know because I've been down this road. I've been on the other side of this, and then when I joined the club, there was this immediate idea about, like, finally I'm better than you, and now I understand how hopeless all you fools are. You know why? Because you, you do this, and you sin, and you curse, and you fight, and you drink, and you, you bellyache, and you complain, and you do all this stuff, all this sin. Look at you all sinning. You're all sin, missing the mark, and they say, what mark? And I say, God's mark. They're like, what God? And I describe God, and you know what their answer is? That's oh, not a God I like. I hate that God. <gasps> Oh, clutches pro. How could you? How could you hate the God I love? Then I come and I read in the Word. And sure enough, <laughs> that is what they are going to do. It's not a surprise to God. But we must trust that when the Holy Spirit begins to work, we will get our chance. At that point, once the Holy Spirit decides to go, then questions start appearing. Floodgates get open. The way that I was saved was very much this. I don't remember the Holy Spirit like immediately toggling, like I don't remember a, a feeling a switch flip. But I all of a sudden remember being very curious about a lot of details about the, the notion of Christ and what he did. Suddenly I was very hungry for those details where I didn't care about them before. People then had their chance to, to instill in me the truth of Scripture. And it began to change and shape my life, albeit slowly, into what the truth of God means. This is why I want to keep logs out of our eyes once again. When we start to tell people the truth and they're lost, like, oh, I know why you hate me. It's because this and this. Say, no, no, no. I, I'm not here to hate you. I'm here to give you good news. I'm here to show you lo love, real love. I really love you. That's why I'm here. I don't know how this all ends for you or I. It's really not the point of this entire conversation. But I'm telling you the truth is 
Here's what Christ did. Here's why that is incredible. And here's what can happen in your life if you believe it. I don't need, don't have time for it. 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 What was that? I've heard this before. I'm curious. Boom. Oh, you want to talk more? Let's talk more. Well, I know what you're going to tell me. I can't be doing this. I can't be doing that. I can't be doing this. I remember one of my first prison ministries, there was a, an offender there, and that we had an opportunity to share, and that guy comes up, and he said, they said, describe for you what you think heaven's going to be like. And he said, it's going to be me sitting on a hillside next to Jesus, and we're both, we're both laughing and smoking weed. <laughs> and all of us conservatives are like, eh, that's technically illegal. And, but the audacity for us to say that what we hold to be a law here is going to be a law... The, the point is, what, he is, what he's expressing with a great deal of ignorance about the word and the law and blah, 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 is that he wants to spend eternity with Christ and sees that as a good thing and happy. Well, that's a wonderful place to start a conversation. You see heaven as you dwelling with Christ forever. The details there, we could talk about that, but, but the reality is what you're seeing and what you're thinking and what you're feeling, what's bringing you joy and peace and calm right now, isn't being an adversary with God. It's being a friend of God. That's a good place to start. Now, that doesn't mean by saying that that he was saved. And I'm not trying to say that he was now immune to judgment. No, in many regards, now the, the real, if you will, sharpening begins. But, but that notion of I'm, I don't believe this, I don't want to believe it, I'm going to do what I want to do was suddenly different. Suddenly he wasn't as interested in pursuing everything that he wanted to do. In his world, uh, having an afternoon off and smoking some weed was a wonderful event that was calming and refreshing. That was his life. Mine's not that way. His is. But the, 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 the spirit of his conversation was the same. As I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm tired of being an enemy of God. I want to just hang out with him. If I do nothing else, if I could just sit next to Christ, whatever he's doing. I mean, I'd like to smoke weed, but if he's like, we don't smoke weed, then I won't smoke weed. But as long as I can sit on the hillside with him, that sounds great to me. Church, that's exactly the kind of good news changes that we expect to make. Not condemning him because he's in prison and talking about his case file and all the things he's done. Do you realize what you've done? Do you realize the harm you've caused? They've heard it from the judge. They've heard it from the lawyers. They've heard it from family and friends, all kinds of counselors. They know they're sitting behind bars. They're well aware. Outside this wall, there's a whole bunch of people sitting in similar cells that aren't behind bars. They're going through the same rigmarole day to day, completely shackled to their sin with no hope. It's a death sentence, and they think that's all that there is. I'll just sit here chained to this until I'm dead. So what about us? Sin is sin and wrong is wrong. I want to make this very clear. Sin is sin and wrong is wrong. Our call to not judge doesn't mean we're telling people that what they're doing is good. No, it's wrong. But I'm not about to excommunicate you from my life because of it. That's the difference. Why? Because I don't want that for me. And the really good news here is Jesus has paid for those sins. Yes, it's sin. Yes, they're mired down in it. But if you come to Christ, it is finished. Knowing that means our judgment should always trend towards correction and restoration. I want you to knock that sin off because I want you to be restored to a right standing with Christ. I don't want you to feel like you can't, you're not welcome on that hillside because of the things you've done. <coughs> if I believe what I know to be true in the Word, and somebody tells me that they're saved, and this is bestowed upon them. I don't have the, we, we've talked about this far. there's no card catalog, I say, hold on, let me just make sure you're in here. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Okay, good, hey everybody, it's legit. Let's baptize them, because we know for sure. We don't know that. 
What we'll see is over time, I, I want something different. I'm sure you do. When we as a church decide that we want to trend towards correction and restoration, this is not getting them excited about church. Will that come? I hope so. But that's not enough. That is not enough. That doesn't restore anybody. If you want to know why we as a church, when we were talking about some of this, some encouragement that Leah was able to hear this week at the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the women's conference she was at, uh, it, the things that we're doing as a church, some people are like, well, that's my, you know, you guys need to do more worldly things. You need, to, you need to make it more fun. You need to attract people in for reasons other than the Bible. The Bible's just not the draw that it used to be. I respectfully and vehemently disagree. The Bible is every bit as powerful as it has ever been. And here what we're doing is relying on that. If somebody comes in here, I don't want them to have a false impression that this church is just a fun place to hang out. It is a fun place to hang out. But if what you want is to come in here and hear a bunch of things and platitudes, it's okay, and where you're at's fine, and God doesn't make mistakes, and all this rhetoric that really is kind of cloaked in a, in a way for you to change nothing and just be okay, you're not going to hear that here because the Bible does not tell us that. It tells us really encouraging things. We're made in God's image. We're image bearers. Condemned, elect, not, you are an image bearer. The good news is Christ will save those who he wills to save. But how are they to know if they are not taught? Well, that's what we do. I want to correct and restore. I don't want people isolated from the kingdom. I don't want them isolated from the church. I want people to know and live like Jesus. I want that for myself. And when we take this on and we take this judgment notion to this degree, what we find is judgment was not intended, this sort of judgment is not intended to condemn. This wasn't intended to impose sentences. That's for the judge to do. Our judgment is to help people discern how they're living their lives and what, if anything, might be a pitfall for them that they're not even aware of. That's the reason I like the example of the, 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 the offender in prison talking about smoking weed with Christ. Smoking weed's against the law in Indiana. It's not a good idea to encourage somebody to go smoke weed in any regard because it's against the law. I know some people don't like that idea. Once they change the law, whatever. But right now, that's against the law. So in a conversation like that, to say that's a great idea and that's the kind of thing you need to be thinking about leaving it there, maybe not the best idea, but to talk a little bit about the, the notion of right and wrong along with what you're getting at, now we have an opportunity to help. Help other people understand more fully what it means to live and know Christ. So what's next? If we need to reconcile, let's do that today. If we're at a place where we've cast judgment on somebody, we've told them not to come back, if you've been a victim of this, perhaps, uh, it's a great time to reconcile. It's not always going to work. It's like everything else, right, to say, I, I don't want to reconcile, you know. I, I know you said that I was, uh, but I've come to agree with what you said, so I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, okay, pray for those kind of people. But when we talk about reconciling, we're talking about how can we restore people? How can we restore them to, to what mistakes have I made? that I could correct to let somebody know. You know the things I said a few years ago, I've changed my mind on that. You know, I, I, I was too hasty. I don't know exactly where that ends up for you, but I can tell you this much. Um, I'm not in a position to, 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 to lay that out. So I want you to know the truth, the good news of Christ. And, you know, if you want to come to church and, or you want to meet and pray or talk or read the Bible together, I'd love to do that so that, you know, that we can grow together again. If you're tired of being judged, we'd love to talk to you. I've been parts of congregations that are very judgmental. I've worked and lived with people that have uh, attitudes that are quite fractious. They want to drive wedges. They want to have an us and them approach. 
I want to keep people aside. If you've been part of that, we would love to talk to you as a church. I'm not saying we're the most, you know, open congregation or anything like that. That's not really what I'm getting at, other than if you found yourself in a place where you found churches to be intolerant or unapproachable or difficult, we want to talk to you. The things you want to hear may not be something we can say, but we can at least talk. And if you're tired of being judgmental, we'd love to talk to you as well. If you found yourself in a place where, man, all I, all I seem to do is make enemies. All I do is set people apart. I, I, let's talk. Let's talk. I can tell you it's stop being judgmental. You know, it's like, don't worry, calm down. Sounds good. But it's hard to do this. These passages are challenging for a reason. And uh, if, you've, if you've been put in a position, you've been a member of a congregation or, or situations where judgmentalism just kind of came easy and it was far easier to just exclude people than to bother. You know, I'd like to say that I've never been through that, but I have. I've done that exact same thing. You know, it's just not worth my trouble anymore. Maybe you're beyond hope. Good. Some people just want to hear that and call it a day. Well, that's not really what we're called to do. Why? Because I can tell you the heartbreak I would suffer if I heard that from my Lord and Savior. Looks like you're beyond hope. Let's do our part. Let's see if we could be a better representative of Christ to our congregation and the people outside when it comes to things like judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for challenging passages. I thank you for passages that I, for me at least, cut down to the quick very, very rapidly. For a you know, relatively short number of words, there's a lot of depth to, to the words we study today, Lord. And I think in a very litigious word, world where we want people to pronounce judgment and we want them to pronounce it in our favor, applying that same kind of logic of one-upsmanship and kind of gamesmanship to the way that we conduct our church business is very tempting. To make up a scorecard and, and exclude and include people based on their actions alone and, and come up with penalties that are codified and now, well, we don't, our hands are tied. You have to leave or you can't be here or... Uh, by this, you, we now automatically connect to this and that and the other. And so, you know, our fellowship is broken and can't be restored until you do the following three things and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Lord, in the meantime, I think you probably just shake your head a lot of times and say, can you just uh, pray for one another? Can you forgive one another? Can you actually strive to see people grow together and, and not make rules and doctrines that isolate and divide the church and um, Lord, we know that there are truths in the word and we know that there's a notion of discipline that we are called to uphold. Um, but, but discipline is about discipling. It's about restoration. Uh, through, through the discipline of the church, our goal is to have people uh, correct things and grow closer to you and thus to us as a congregation who are, are your bride. And Lord, I, I pray that if we as a congregation have, have sent people away because of their actions, uh, without a desire in our heart to see them restored, but to actually just see them go, that, Lord, we, uh, we want to repent of that. Lord, lead us to where we need to go to help restore that. And, Lord, I pray that if we're in the midst of that now and we are isolating people in the community or, or people here, Lord, that, that you'll illumine us to these problems and help us to, to, to be rid of them, Lord. I want to be, be clear, Lord, I, I don't burden myself with these thoughts. I, I think as a congregation, we seek to do your work in the community and we seek to do more of it especially with the changes that we're making and trying to get into a position to do, to do better at that. But we're not perfect, Lord, and there's always room for growth. And, 
and help us not to, to rest on these laurels and, and look at the, the scorecard and say we're doing such a great job, I guess we don't need to talk about this. Or we do need to talk about this. We need to keep it in mind and we need to be ready to discuss if someone asks us specifically about how we feel about judgment, that we can say, I can tell you how I feel about judgment. It's right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for its power. Now I'm thankful for a, a church body that we're able to, to study and enjoy this word together. Change your sons